Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. I heard a, a preacher the other day uh, recount a story about his first work. Uh, this was about 40 years ago, uh, but he, he was talking about how he had just uh, graduated from school and uh, he was sort of um, uh, recommended for this small rural congregation out in the country, somewhere, somewhere in Tennessee. And so he goes out there and he gets the work, right? It's a small congregation and he begins to really get to work. And one of the first things that he does is really concentrate on the evangelism of the, of the city, of, of the town there. And so he gets to work. And before they know it there, that congregation is purchasing a modular home and putting it on their property because they need some more room to have Bible classes. And, and then they're, they're starting to be self-supportive. They're no longer needing to uh, have help from uh, sister congregations to help support them to pay their bills because now they're able to support themselves. And they're baptizing people left and right. And even a woman says, you know what, I'm going to purchase a van for this congregation. If you'll come and pick me up and some other people, I'd be willing to purchase a van for this congregation. And this church was growing and growing and growing for this young preacher. But then one day there was a meeting, a business meeting, a men's meeting, and they got together. And one of the older men in the congregation stood up and said, listen, we need to slow down. We're growing too fast. I mean, we're having parking lot problems. We don't have enough pews for people to sit in. We need to slow down. I don't even know half the people in this congregation anymore. What a sad thought. What a sad thought to hear this morning uh, of what he had said. You know, sometimes we lose our perspective of what Jesus and his church is all about. Have you ever been in a spiritual rut before? A spiritual rut? Uh, we can think of in Psalm 122, verse 1, where David proclaimed... It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Right? I cannot wait to get to the house of the Lord. But then as we remember the history of Israel, uh, when we get to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, you remember what their view on worship was? In Malachi chapter 1, verse 13, he, uh, the prophet says, they're saying, my, how tiresome it is. Right? Worship to them was wearisome. It was burdensome. You know, oh no, you know, I got to go and worship today. That was sort of the, the feeling of Israel. And they really, they, they were in a spiritual rut at that time. We find ourselves from time to time asking God to revive us again. Uh, this is especially true when it comes to certain areas like maybe evangelism. Whether it's personal evangelism or, or the church evangelism, we need to be revived in, in this area. We, we need our, our, uh, that fire in our bones rekindled. Uh, we need to be reminded of the absolute importance of it. The, the, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. And of course, uh, what was just read for us was Mark's version of the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16, go into all the world and, and preach to all creation. Right? He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And I know we know those verses here this morning, but do we need to be revived again in the Great Commission? When was the last time, and just you know, think about these things, when was the last time that you brought someone to Jesus? Or what about when was the last time you spoke to someone about Jesus? You know, this lesson this morning is going to challenge us to restore our passion for evangelism. Remember, Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, I came to seek and to save the lost. 
That was Jesus' goal uh, here, and that should be ours as well. And really, uh, as we move into the, to the year 2023, that's sort of going to be my uh, personal focus is on evangelism. I'm hoping to bring a lesson uh, pertaining to evangelism at least once a month, maybe even twice, as we go into 2023. And my prayer is that these lessons will help, again, revive our love for the lost, to think about the lost to uh, put our attention to the lost. And so this morning is really sort of an introductory lesson in these thoughts, and we want to sort of remind ourselves this morning uh, about these things. You'll notice the, the name of this uh, lesson is the Great Omission, right? The Great Omission, sort of a play on words of the Great Commission, but really, are we omitting evangelism uh, in our lives? And so the first thing I want us to notice is we need to remind ourselves of remember what is at stake this morning. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. How are people going to know about that statement of Jesus unless we are proclaiming it to others? There was a man by the name of Ivan McGuire, and he was an experienced skydiver. I mean, he had over 800 jumps. Uh, you couldn't get me into a plane to do one jump, but he had over 800 jumps in his professional career. And what he was, was he was a man who was sort of a cameraman. He worked for this company that uh, there was an instructor, and the instructor had a, a student you know, hooked to them as they made the jump. And this man, Ivan, was the, the cameraman. He was calmly floating beside them, recording the jumps for the, for the, the company as they descended you know, 150 miles per hour as they descended towards the earth. And this is a very dangerous activity, a very dangerous job. On April 5th, 1998, something tragically went wrong. He had filmed uh, two jumps already that day, and he was about to do his third jump. Uh, of course, he was, he was tired. He, he was uh, pressed at that time, but he, he prepares for that final jump uh, of that evening. But as he gets on all of his gear, his cameras, and all of these things, he forgets the most important part of all his equipment, the parachute. And you can only imagine as, as, he's, as he's coming down from, from the jump, uh, his calmness turned to panic when he realizes that he didn't have his parachute on, that his life is about to come to an end. Friends, this morning evangelism is a life and death situation. Eternal life and eternal death is at stake. Heaven and hell is at stake. Many are plunging to eternity every single day. Uh, to them it's just another day. To them, it's just another jump. Some don't even know it. And the sickness they must feel when they wake up on the other side of eternity and realize that they were in a lost state and they never knew it. Nothing can be done for them now, but there was. But there was something that, they, that could have been done. See, if we don't remind ourselves this morning what is at stake when it comes to evangelism, we forget that you and I are part of that plan. The, the church is... Uh, these, uh, the members of the church are these earthen vessels that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know, the, the message of the gospel is placed within inside us, and it's our duty to pass that message on to others. If we don't remind ourselves what is at stake from time to time, when we don't tell someone about the gospel message, in a sense, what are we doing? We're not offering them that parachute. We're standing by as they crash down. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 
Starting in verse, well, let's start in verse 6. Notice what Paul here writes. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. He's talking about the day of judgment. He's talking about the day when Jesus returns. Paul writes, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Right? Paul says there's this, this day that's going to happen when Jesus returns with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most of us here this morning have obeyed that gospel. You know, someone was kind enough to tell you about that gospel. They taught you what you needed to do to be saved from your sins, whether it was your parents or a friend or a Bible class teacher, a preacher, a co-worker. Somebody told you. And because of that, because you obeyed the gospel, you're now rescued. You're now heading on that right path, heading towards heaven. So what are we doing this morning with that information that we have? Are we going to let those who are walking around us, who are living about us, jump without a parachute? Are we being rescued, content, not saying anything to anyone else? You've heard of the, the magician act, uh, Penn and Teller. You know, I think they perform a lot out in Las Vegas, Penn and Teller. One of them's uh, sort of, uh, you know, really tall. The other one's short and quiet, doesn't say a word. Well, the tall guy, Penn Jillette, you know, he's not shy. He's not shy about, being, uh, or about his beliefs of being an atheist. Uh, he's very outspoken about it. He's even written books about it. Well, in 2009, there was a story of uh, a man who went to uh, Penn Jillette, and he uh, gave him a Bible, and he talked to him about Jesus. And this is what Penn Jillette said. Remember, again, this man was an atheist, but he said, listen, I don't respect people who don't proselyze, not at all. See, if you believe in heaven and hell, and I'm not worth telling, I don't respect those individuals, he says. How much do you have to hate someone to not to tell them if that was your belief? That's pretty telling, isn't it? That's coming from the mouth of an atheist, that if you believe something as serious as eternal life and eternal death, and you're not out there telling people about it, he says, I don't respect that individual. We've got to remember what is at stake. You know, many of us will say, well, well listen, I'm a good person, and that's how I evangelize. Right? Uh, salt and light evangelism. You know, I'm, I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light. Of, uh, I'm reflecting the light of Jesus, and that's how I'm going to do it. I'm not going to talk to people about Jesus, but I'm going to simply just be a good person. I'm going to be a good neighbor. I'm going to do good things, and maybe, maybe they'll see Jesus through me. But friends, atheists can be good neighbors too. There's got to be that distinction between them and us. And of course, that's Jesus. And we've got to bring Jesus into those conversations. Again, because souls are at stake. Remember what is at stake. Secondly, we want to remember this morning is that we need to make preparations. You remember in school when you prepared for an exam or some kind of test, a really big test that you know, your grade depended on it, whether it was between an A or a B, or maybe if it was between passing or failing? You studied that textbook, didn't you? You studied your notes. You knew them from front to back. I mean, you spent hours and hours preparing for that, memorized every little detail. You did that because you wanted good results. You wanted an A. You wanted to pass the class. 
Friends, how well do we know this book? We say that we want to go to heaven more than anything in this life, but do our actions say that? See, this is a book that tells us how to get there. Are you familiar with it? You know, do me a favor. Go to Matthew chapter 1 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 1. Put your finger there, and then go to Revelation chapter 22. So we got the first chapter of the New Testament and the second chapter of the New Testament. Put your fingers between those two pages and sort of compare that to the, the whole Bible, the entire scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. I mean, that's what Jesus wants us to know. That's what God wants us to know. This is the New Testament of Jesus Christ. Revel- excuse me, Matthew chapter 1 through Revelation 22. It's not that big at all. It's, knowledge- or it's doable. You know, there was this craze a while ago um, of these, these book series, you know, the Harry Potter series, right? And, and kids were just buying these things up. These are big, thick books. And I don't know, there's seven or eight of them uh, in, in total. I probably have that wrong. I should have asked my daughter this morning. Uh, but uh, kids were eating these things up, right? They were reading them over and over again, and much thicker than the, the Bible. They had no problem reading that. The Bible is what God wants us to know, what he chose to reveal to us. He could have chose to reveal his word to us in any way, and he chose to do that through the scriptures. He wants us to know it. He wants us to practice it. Do we know what we should? If we're going to bring people to Jesus, don't we need to know a little bit about what we're talking to? Would you go to a doctor this morning who has never studied in his profession? Should someone go to a Christian, a New Testament Christian, and speak to them what they need to do in order to be saved, to have their sins washed away, and that person to say, well, that's what the Bible says, but I really can't show you where in the scriptures it is. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, you remember the Hebrews writer said this, he said this about those group of Christians there that he's writing to, he said, you know, you ought to be teachers by now. You've been studying uh, God's word for some time now. You ought to be teachers by now. But really, you need someone to teach you the fundamentals. Friends, if we want to restore our passion for the lost this morning, we need to get into the book. We need to make preparations for those things. Thirdly, this morning, we need to remember that evangelism affects our salvation. Now listen, I'm not talking about the results of our evangelism. You know, God's not keeping score and saying, okay, well, you've, you've brought one person to Jesus and maybe this person over here has brought 50, 50 people to Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about at all. Remember Noah? Uh, the Bible says that he was a preacher of righteousness, yet how many people did he get on the ark? You know, it was just his family. But it's not necessarily what the results of that, but we need to remember this line. And I have this up here on the board this morning. Evangelism is not a talent. It is a command. Again, evangelism is not a talent, it is a command. The Great Commission, those two verses we read at the end of Matthew and Mark, those are commanded of the followers of Jesus to make disciples. The command to make disciples is as plain as the the command to repent and be baptized in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. But many will say this morning, well, evangelism is just not my talent. You know, I I just don't have what it takes. And, And yes, there are some aspects of evangelism that does take talent, Uh, Some people are better speakers, better conversationalists than others. But the basis of evangelism has nothing to do with talent. It has all to do with obeying God's word. Would you argue this morning that I don't have the talent to take the Lord's Supper? Well, no, we wouldn't say that, would we? But we, um, 
we are commanded to take the, the word to, and to all creation and to make disciples. You know, what if Jesus really meant what he said? You know, imagine that. What if Jesus really meant what he said? How many of us or how many uh, are going to stand before Jesus on the day of judgment and say, well, listen, I, I didn't think you really meant what you said about evangelism. I didn't really think you meant that about me, that I was to go and to make disciples. Will that be a sufficient answer for us on the day of judgment? Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 God is uh, speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. And he, said, he tells him something uh, as he's commissioning him to be a prophet for, for the house of Israel. He says to him, listen, I've appointed you, Ezekiel, as a watchman over Israel. You know, whatever you hear from me, you're going to tell the people. And that, that was the, the concept. That was the idea behind a prophet. God gave him the word. He gave it to the people. And it was up to the people whether they obeyed it or did not. But God said, when he's speaking to Ezekiel in in those verses, he says, listen, if you warn the wicked, that's fine. You've done your job. But if you take those words that I tell you and you do not warn them, then then their blood is going to be on your hands. You know, basically he's saying it's going to be your fault, Ezekiel, for not giving them the message that they need to change and repent of their ways. You know, Paul borrows this language in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. He's speaking to the Ephesians here, and he says, basically, listen, I am innocent of the blood of all men. He said, when I came to you uh, for these couple of years while I was here in Ephesus, I did not withhold anything. I preached the whole counsel of God to you, the whole purpose of God. I did not shrink from uh, giving you the good and the bad, from teaching about heaven and hell. And so he says there, basically, again, if you lose your soul... It's not because I didn't sound the alarm, because I did everything that I could. Colossians chapter 4, I want to read this passage. I wrote a Bolton article about this a couple of weeks ago. Hopefully you had a chance to read this. But listen to what Paul says here in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. As he's writing to the Christians here in Colossae, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. We might say this morning, well, I just don't have anybody to teach the gospel to. I have no one to share it with. When's the last time you prayed for an open door to be open to you that you may preach the word to someone, as Paul's saying here? You know, you, you, let me say it another way. Do you believe in the providence of God? Well, if you do, make that prayer. God, bring someone across my path today that I can teach. Let my eyes be open to some lost soul today. If you believe in the providence of God, God's going to do that. He's providentially going to bring that person to you. I know you and I would never pray for a closed door, but isn't that the opposite of an open door? And if we're not praying for open doors to teach someone the gospel, are we asking God to keep that door closed? Are we asking God to keep that door maybe just an inch open, just a little bit? Are we asking God to have that door open for someone else? We want to restore our passion for the lost. Let's remember that it's commanded of us to do so. And finally this morning, as we again make these introductory thoughts here this morning, we need to stop making excuses. You know, sometimes we make more excuses than Moses, right? You know what I mean here? You remember Moses when he's speaking to God in the rock, or excuse me, the burning bush, 
And, you know, God says, listen, I've seen my people in Egypt. I've seen how they've been afflicted. I'm hearing their cries and I'm going to deliver them. And I'm going to send you, Moses, uh, to Pharaoh, uh, to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. You remember how Moses reacts? Remember, he, he says, listen, I don't have all the answers. I can't do that. And then he says, who am I? He's not going to respect me. I'm just Moses. I, I'm no nobody. He says, I don't have enough ability to do that. I'm not an eloquent speaker. Don't, don't send me, God. And he also says, you know, I'm not as qualified as others, right? Send someone else, he says. Sometimes you and I, we might make those similar uh, excuses about other people's souls. What are some reasons that we make excuses well, number one, let's think of fear. Revelation chapter 21, and you might want to look at this passage as well. Uh, Revelation 21, as, as the Apostle John here is depicting uh, heaven, but also those uh, who are not going to see heaven. He says in Revelation 21, verse 8, he has a list for us to read. Those who are not going to see heaven, he says. And in, in, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, he says, and notice what he starts with. What he starts with, what's well, at the top of the list, he says, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. He says the cowardly. Now, he's not talking about, you know, walking uh, out in the woods somewhere and a snake comes upon you. And so you jump and turn and run out of there. That's not the cowardice he's talking about. He's talking about cowardly as in, you know what God's word says, but you turn around and run. You want nothing to do with what God's word says. That's what he says will keep someone out of heaven. Again, look what it's listed with. The murderers and immoral people. But yet, cowardly tops that list. You know, I heard a preacher once say that tact is good, but contact is better. Tact is good, but contact is better. We're so worried sometimes about being tactful, about saying the wrong thing, that we don't say anything at all. Remember in Jude, uh, the one uh, chapter epistle, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, he's writing in very, at the very end of this letter in verse 23, he says something very profound. He says there are times where we need to snatch someone out of the fire. Right? There are other instances he talks about of showing compassion and mercy to someone, but he also says sometimes we've got to snatch someone out of the fire. I've used this illustration before. Uh, maybe you, you recall this, but... You know, imagine someone's walking on a, a, a railway, right? Someone's walking on a railway and maybe they have some headphones on, earbuds in their ears, and they're walking and they have no idea that a train is barreling down on the same railway that they're walking on. Do you stop and think, boy, I'd hate to disturb what he's listening to. Or, or do you stop and say, well, maybe, maybe he'll take notice uh, as the train gets closer. Or maybe someone else will flag him down and tell him to get off the tracks. No, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't uh, argue that way. We'd jump up and down. We'd race towards them. We'd push them off the tracks. We'd uh, snatch them off the tracks. But many, spiritually speaking... We just see these individuals walking on these, again, these spiritual uh, railways, uh, unknowing that that train that, that, that represents death is barreling down on them. And we just quietly will sit there, fearfully not say anything as that train barrels down on them. We've got to overcome any sort of fear or, of telling them about Jesus. Or what about bad experiences? You remember Jesus in, in Mark chapter 5? He comes to this area in Decapolis. It's this really big area east of 
uh, the Sea of Galilee. It's Gentile territory. He comes in there and uh, he, he casts out this demon from this man. Uh, this man was demon-possessed. Uh, Legion was the name of that demon. And he, he sends that, uh, that demon into a herd of swine. You remember this? And the herd of swine, they rush down into the, into the sea and they all drown. There's about 2,000 of them. Well, do you remember how the people reacted after that had happened? They implored Jesus to leave. They, they weren't thankful that that man was free from that demon. But they said, get out of here, Jesus. That Jesus had a bad experience in Decapolis. Well, only a few chapters later in Mark chapter 7, Jesus comes back to the area. He comes and he feeds 4,000 individuals, again, Gentile people mostly. Do sometimes we tend to give up on individuals who we have maybe have brought the gospel to them, who we have maybe talked to Jesus about? We might say, well, listen, if they didn't listen to me a year ago, maybe they're not going to listen to me again if I go back this time. But we have no idea what has happened in that period of a year in their lives. You know, their hearts could have been softened. Sometimes it takes a traumatic event in some people's lives to get that gospel seed into their hearts. Maybe it's a death. Maybe it's a betrayal. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis. We need to keep going back and back and back. But what if Jesus refused to go back to Decapolis because of that bad experience he had in that first trip? A bad experience for the Lord was not an excuse, and, and it shouldn't be for us. And then finally, uh, sometimes we'll say, you know, maybe we just we, we don't have enough training to go and do that. You remember the Jewel Miller field, uh, film strips? I know we have these in this building. I've seen the film strips, uh, the old film strips. I've seen VHS tapes of it. I've seen uh, DVD copies of it. You know, this was something that we used to militantly train uh, Christians to watch and to go out and spread the gospel, and it converted many individuals to Christ. Uh, watching those films. Let me ask you this this evening. Have you ever uh, heard of grandparent training? You haven't, have you? Because there is no grandparent training. But grandparents will talk about their grandkids for days. Uh, they, they get out their wallets in the old days, remember, and they would show you the pictures of the grandkids. Or even today, they take their phone and they'll flip through and show you all the pictures of that. What course did they take? They didn't take a course. But they do that because they love their grandkids. We don't need an official course. We don't need a Jewel Miller film trip to train us to go out and talk to others about Jesus. You love him, don't you? You love other souls, don't you? Open up your Bible. Right? Point to uh, them where Jesus is and what Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you. And again, we need to stop making excuses when it comes to uh, our evangelism. This morning, again, this is uh, an introductory lesson as we sort of think about these things going into the year 2023. But I'm afraid, as one preacher once said, I'm afraid that we've gone from David, you know, excited to be going to the house of the Lord, to Malachi, where it's a burden, that we're just tired. And we need, we need to uh, have that passion restored to seeking and saving the lost. See, Jesus gave his church a mission he gave them a commission. Go, therefore, and make all disciples. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We often will say, you know, that the church is not a country club for the saved. You've heard this before, right? Uh, we'll say, listen, the, some people on the outside think the church is this great big country club where we come and we just have a great time here. And, uh, and we don't have any worries or anything like that. And then we'll say, well... No, but it's a hospital for the saints, 
right? Because we're, we're all sinners and we all need uh, that healing uh, to come together like that. But again, that's not quite right either because hospitals don't go out and find people and bring them in. And that's the church. We need to be out there finding people, telling them about Jesus, and letting them make the decision. And again, let's remember what is at stake this morning. Let's make preparations to seek and to save. Let's remember, again, that it's commanded of us to do these things and stop making excuses. Again, we need to remember who we are and whose we are. And so don't let the Great Commission this morning become the great omission where we are omitting uh, our duty as Christians to go out and to seek and to save the lost. This morning, maybe you are one of those individuals that have not put Christ on in baptism. Uh, maybe this morning is the, you're ready to do that. We would love the opportunity to uh, serve you in this way. We know the Bible tells us that we need to hear the word of God, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of our sins, confess him as Lord, and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to this church. Or this morning, maybe you're a member here, or maybe you're a Christian, but you're struggling in your faith, and you need the encouragement, and you need the prayers of this congregation. You need you know, the encouragement that only the brothers and sisters in Christ can give you. We would love the opportunity to pray for you this morning. If you want to place membership with us to work alongside us here, again, any of these things, this would be a great time to do that. But please let us know as together we stand and sing.